Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to dive into your word this morning. I pray that you would open up our our minds and our, our hearts, our ears, to hear from you today. We expect your Holy Spirit to work powerfully among us. Speak, O Lord. Your servants are listening. Amen. Well, good morning again. And it's, it's so good to be back uh, preaching today. I am so excited to share with you God's word and God's grace as well. Uh, the passage that was assigned for this morning is Psalm 107, a portion of it. And uh, I invite you to turn there now if you would like. And this passage was assigned uh, by the lectionary uh, text today. And I love when God is working behind the scenes, lining up things that you didn't even anticipate or expect. Uh, because this psalm begins by saying, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. And verse 2, let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. Isn't that what we've been doing in this whole series? The redeemed of the Lord have been telling their story. It's something scripture encourages us to do. And you've been hearing all kinds of stories of grace. Uh, we started off with Mark Torgerson and Zach Zabonzak and Loida and Dan and Betsy Dobler. And you've been seeing how God has worked powerfully in their lives. And I'm going to share with you today a little bit about my own story of grace as well. Uh, and in Psalm 107, uh, it begins by saying, Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. Then it says, Those he redeemed from the hand of the foe, those he gathered from the lands from east and west, from north and south. Now, a little bit of context about this psalm. Says those he redeemed from the hand of the foe, and then it gives the four directions of the compass, right? Now, what does that kind of sound like? Well, if you remember our Ezra and Nehemiah series, or you just know a little bit about the biblical storyline, this should remind us of the exile. God gathering his exiled people from all the different places around the world. And the psalm, this psalm was likely written as a way to praise God for how he brought his people back, how he redeemed his people. So you, we're going to see in this psalm, we're actually going to look at the whole psalm because it's, it's one composition. It's one worship song about God's enduring love. And you're going to see four different stories or four different pictures uh, of what that redemption was like. And we're going to look at these four stories kind of through three different lenses, if you will. In the first lens, we're going to look at the story individually as these, as these stories could have literally happened to Jews who were saved during the exile. The second lens is we're going to look at uh, all these stories as four different ways of celebrating the one event of the exile. Does that make sense? It's going to be like a kaleidoscope. As we look at the exile, these are four ways of telling that story. And additionally, the third lens that we're going to look at is these four stories are also ways of seeing and celebrating our own redemption in Christ. So Psalm 107, it ultimately praises God for his goodness and his love. That's the main theme. The enduring love of God. His loving grace. His covenant loyalty. His faithfulness to his people that no matter what they go through, that no matter what happens to them, ultimately his love will endure and he will redeem his people. So four stories, four pictures of God's grace. Let's look at each one in turn. So the first one, number one, God's loving grace brings us home brings us home. The first story in the psalm, it tells the story of travelers who are lost in the desert. Look with me at verses 4 through 9. 
It says, some wandered in desert wastelands, finding no way to a city where they could settle. They were hungry and thirsty, and their lives ebbed away. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way to a city where they could settle. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. Now, I'm willing to bet that most of us have probably never traveled through the desert. Maybe a few of you have, ta- have taken a short hike through the desert. Uh, I, myself, I have taken a short hike uh, when I was in Israel and Jordan. And I can testify that in a very short time, you will experience how scorching, how hot and dry it is, how thirsty you get so quickly. Even when you have water with you, you get so thirsty and tired and you just can't wait to get some shade. The desert is an unforgiving place. And the travelers in this story, they are hopelessly lost. Can you imagine that? Being lost in such a place like that? They, they are wandering. They don't know where their path is. They don't know where, they, where they're supposed to go. And now their supplies have run out. They're hungry. They're thirsty. Their energy is draining. Their lips are cracked from the sun. It's hot. And they can barely keep going. What do you do when you feel so lost? when you feel there's no hope for you, what do they do? They cry out to the Lord. They cry out to God, and it says he delivers them from their distress. And we don't know how, but after this prayer, their prayers are answered, and somehow they are able to find a way. They find a path that leads them to a city where they could settle. God leads them back home. He leads them to a community, a place where there is water, food, safety, drink, Now, many of God's people, they had literally made the journey, the 900-mile journey from Babylon back to Jerusalem. And it was only by God's grace that sustained them through that journey, traveling 900 miles on foot in a caravan through the desert. There probably were stories that literally were like this. But this story, it's also a picture of the exile itself. When God's people were exiled from their land, it's like they were lost and wandering in a desert, hungry, thirsty, without a place to settle. And now God has brought them back home. And brothers and sisters, isn't that also a picture of God's loving grace to us in Christ? In this world, we are hopelessly lost. We can't find the path. We can't find the way ourselves. And we try to fill our lives with all kinds of things that this world has to offer, but we find that it does not satisfy. We still are spiritually hungry and thirsty for something. But, what, but Jesus comes and he is all these things. We cry out and Jesus will bring us home. We are lost, but Jesus is the way. We're hungry, but Jesus is the bread of life. We are thirsty, but Jesus is our living water. We are exhausted, but Jesus is our rest. And one day, he will lead us to the new Jerusalem, to the new city where we will dwell with God forever and ever. And isn't that good news this morning? That's why we respond with worship for God's loving grace. That's the first story. Let's look at the second story. Number two, God's loving grace sets us free. God's loving grace sets us free. The second picture we get of God's grace is one of liberation and redemption, freedom. Look at verses 10 through 16 with me. It says, Some sat in darkness, in utter darkness, Prisoners suffering in iron chains 
because they rebelled against God's commands and despised the plans of the Most High. So he subjected them to bitter labor. They stumbled and there was no one to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he saved them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness, the utter darkness, and broke away their chains. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. For he breaks down gates of bronze and cuts through bars of iron. Now in this picture, we see prisoners in iron chains in a dark dungeon. Why are they there? Verse 11. Because they rebelled against God's commands and despised the plans of the Most High. Now, those in our first story, the, the people who are lost in the desert, they're just lost. You know, they, they just lost their way. It wasn't their fault. But these people in this story, it's, it's, it's their fault. They've rebelled against God's ways. They've rebelled against His commands, and now they find themselves in prison. And this is how the prophets often spoke of the exile. God's people didn't just end up in exile. They didn't just go there because Babylon was stronger and power-hungry. No, they were warned again and again and again, but they were stiff-necked. They wouldn't respond to God's warnings. And so God sent them there as a punishment for their sins. And some likely went to literally dark dungeons. Now, in biblical times, someone you could just waste away in a prison without any idea of when you're getting out, of how long your sentence might be. Are you going to survive? Think about Joseph in the story of Genesis. He was in there for such an indefinite period of time for so long, he had no idea. That's what it was like. But these prisoners, like these wanderers, what do they do? They cry out to God. And even though they totally deserve this, they, they are guilty for being, they're, they're there because they did something. But what does God do? God has mercy. God listens to their cry and they are set free. And this is God's loving grace to us. We are all slaves to sin, imprisoned by sin's power. And our own rebellion, our own choices have got us there. And now we know that there will be a, a reckoning, there will be a judgment day where we stand before the throne of God. And we don't know when that day will come. But thanks be to God. Jesus Christ came to set you free from the prison and punishment of sin. When Jesus Christ stood up to pre preach in Nazareth, he said, he said he was there to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. Those in the prison of sin can be forever set free by Jesus Christ. Amen? The uh, author John Bunyan, author of The Pilgrim's Progress, he saw verse 16 as Christ breaking down the, the gates and the, and the bars of his own heart. Christ coming to, to get to him and set him free. And it reminds me of that uh, you know, popular, new popular song, Reckless Love, where Corey Asbury says that there's no shadow he won't light up. There's no, no mountain he won't climb up coming after you. There's no wall he won't kick down. There's no lie he won't tear down coming after you. God wants to set you free. He wants to break down the bars and the prisons we put ourselves in so that we can live in the glorious freedom of the children of God. We don't deserve it, but God's loving grace comes to set us free. That's the second story. So let's, let's look at the third story. The third story is God's loving grace heals us. God's loving grace heals us. The third picture we get of redemption is that of sick people who are healed. Look at verses 17 through 21 with me. It says, Some became fools through their rebellious ways and suffered affliction because of their iniquities. They loathed all food 
and drew near the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them. He rescued them from the grave. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. You know, the people in this picture, they have some type of affliction, some type of sickness. They don't want to eat. They are literally wasting away, suffering some type of affliction. And behind this affliction is, we are told, some type of sinful lifestyle. These were fools, it says, suffering because of their rebellion. Now, sin, suffering, and sickness is often not connected in life, but sometimes it is. Sometimes we suffer the consequences of our own choices. Our suffering can be self-inflicted. We suffer the consequences, even physically, of harboring bitterness and other self-destructive choices. But even so, even if we have done it to ourselves, we can still cry out. And again, that's what the people do. They cry out to God with this affliction and say, God, help! And he heals them. And it says he sends his word and heals them. He rescues them from the grave. Being in exile is like being sick to the point of death, but God brings them back. But do you see how awesome, this is such an awesome picture of the salvation we have in Christ? This is written before Christ. It's in the Psalms. It says he sent his word and healed them. The word of God, Christ, the word of God, sent to heal us and rescue us from the grave. He rescues us from the grave. Sin has made us spiritually sick, friends. It's made us sick. We have dug the pit ourselves, but God sent his word. He sent Christ to come and bring healing. So therefore, we give thanks. That's number three. Finally, look with me at number four, the last story in our passage. Number four, God's loving grace stills our storms. The fourth picture of redemption is that of sailors who are saved at sea. It says, some went out in the sea in ships. They were merchants on the mighty waters. They saw the works of the Lord, his wonderful deeds in the deep. For he spoke and stirred up a tempest that lifted high the waves. They mounted up to the heavens and went down to the depths. In their peril, their courage melted away. They reeled and staggered like drunkards. They were at their wit's end. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to, wisp, to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. They were glad when it grew calm, and he guided them to their desired haven. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. So in this story, the, the sea, it's, it's pictured as under the control of God. And the sailors, they're out there, they're experiencing God's majestic wonders. And then the, the storm comes upon the sea, and the waves are as high as the heavens and down to the depths. It would be terrifying. That would be absolutely terrifying, even for sailors who've been out there. They were in a terrible storm. It says their normal courage had gone, and it says that they were at their wit's end. Now, and that also could be translated, all their skill was useless. It's a word for, there's a word there for the, their seamanship, their, their knowledge, all of the, the things that they had learned about sailing, all of their skill, all of their technical expertise, all of their data, all of the things that they knew, not going to work. Not going to work here. They were literally in over their heads. What do they do? They cry out to the Lord. And suddenly, everything becomes still. You know, Israel was lost at sea in the exile. It was beyond what they could bear. But the Lord calmed the storm and brought them home 
to a safe harbor. And doesn't this also remind you of Jesus? When Jesus calmed the storm for the disciples, and he does the same for us. When we feel that we're in, we're in something, we, like I mentioned before, this past year, there's been storms where it felt like, I'm at my wit's end. I, I don't know how to deal with this situation. I don't have the, the education for this. I don't have the skills for this. I don't have the data on this. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. What do they do? Cry out to the Lord. He saves them. He delivers them from their distress. God is our ever-present help in time of need. So four pictures, four stories of Israel's salvation and our salvation. Friends, we were lost in the desert, but God brought us home. We were in prison of sin, but God has freed us. We were sick, but God has healed us. We were tossed at the sea, but God has brought us safely home. And friends, that's where my story of grace comes in. You've probably been wondering when I would get to that. <laughs> Apologize. I just haven't exegeted a sermon, a passage in a while. I was just super excited to do that. Uh, but uh, I'm going to tell you, uh, not my whole story, uh, but I want to tell you just a small part of my story and my call to ministry. Uh, my story of grace is, you know, I grew up in the Catholic Church when I was 13. Uh, my parents uh, started going to First Evangelical Covenant, Grand Rapids, Michigan. Many, many of you have heard the story before where I reluctantly agreed to go to the church's Bible camp because someone in the church offered to pay for it. So I agreed and I accepted Christ at that camp. And it forever changed my life. And I just, at that moment, I, I, as a 13-year-old, I knew I was so lost. I was so lost. I didn't know what was true. I didn't know my purpose in life. But Jesus came, and from that moment on, I was forever changed. God brought me home. And from a, very, from a very early age, after that, I was so excited about Jesus. I just wanted to be in church every second I could possibly be. Uh, I wanted to be there anytime the doors were open. And just as an aside, to any of you teenagers here, any, any of you watching at home, you're not too young to make a decision for Jesus Christ. You're not too young to say, you know, from this day forward, I'm going to follow Jesus with everything I got. You're not too young for that. And that's what I did. And I, was, I, was, and I felt from an early age, I felt... Uh, this call in my life to ministry. And I, I went to public school, and when I was in uh, eighth grade, uh, we had to do a capstone project. And the, the capstone for graduating middle school, if you can, if you can call it that, uh, you had to pick a career that you were interested in, and uh, then you had to uh, set up a job shadow for that career. And believe it or not, in eighth grade, I picked a senior pastor of a church. I was like the only kid in my school. Everyone thought it was so weird, you know? What the heck? What are you doing? You know, but I was interested. I, I felt this call of my life to ministry. So I, I was pursuing that, and it felt like I was on the fast track from salvation uh, to ministry. <laughs> but we know that spiritual growth, as Zach reminded us a few weeks ago, it's not this straight line, and especially the teenage years. It's, not, it's, it's, it's a bumpy road. And how many of you have done something stupid when you were a teenager? <laughs> Praise God. Whew. I, I won't feel so bad. But when I was a teenager, I, you know, I, made, I made some choices I wasn't proud of. Uh, I had some relationships I, I was in I wasn't proud of. And I felt uh, I got in this prison of lust. And I wasn't sure how to get out of it. And I felt so horrible about myself because I was interested in ministry. I was in, and I, I went to Bethel College to study youth ministry. And at that point, I, I was still struggling in my, in my freshman year. 
And then for God, I can't really explain it. I don't have the time to get into it. But the summer before my sophomore year, right before I began the school year, something snapped. Like I just, I recommitted my life to Jesus. I cried out to the Lord like they did in the psalm. And I was like totally like set free. And I was out of that prison. But I felt so guilty. It's like I went from one prison, the prison of sin, into the prison of guilt. And I was like, God, I know, I, I know you forgive me, but do you still want to use me? Should I, should I still study ministry? I felt like I screwed up everything in my whole life. I've been thinking about being a pastor for five or six years, since eighth grade, and I felt like I had screwed it all up. And so I, I, was, I was sick, literally sick to my stomach, thinking about all this. I couldn't sleep at night, and that's when God sent Ben Stiller into my life. <laughs> Some of you are like, wait, what is that? Hold on a second. I'm, I'm mildly joking. But uh, the, um, in the first couple of weeks on campus, some of my friends, they invited me to go to the Dollar Theater to go watch a movie because college students, you can afford the Dollar Theater. So we went to the Dollar Theater, and they were playing the, the, the most wonderful film you've ever heard of, Night at the Museum 2, <laughs> a sequel a sequel to a very silly movie. And you know the sequel's not as good as the original. So it's just a sequel. And the, in the movie there, it's basically, if you don't know it, there's an Egyptian tablet uh, that's in the, one of the museums. And Ben Stiller's the night guard there. And this tablet brings all the exhibits to life. Now, in the second one, uh, it brings to life an Egyptian pharaoh who wants to take over the world. And he, brings, and he brings all these historical characters together to take over the world, like Al Capone. And then Ben Stiller forms another team of other historical characters to save the world. And on Ben Stiller's team is General George Custer, who in real life is most famous for losing the Battle of Little Bighorn. In fact, historically, he dies in that battle. But in the movie, he's brought back to life, and they're trying to save the world. And you finally get to the final like, battle scene of the movie, and they're trying to save the world, and Custer is hiding behind a box or, or something. He's, he's hiding. And Ben Stiller finds him in the midst of, of this battle, and that's where our scene begins. So let's watch what happens. What's going on? Hiding. Hiding? What are you doing? Come on, we need you. I'm a failure. Hey, no, you're not. You foolishly lead 208 Americans to their deaths at the Battle of Little Bighorn. No. No. Not good. Not good at all. It's not good. Sure, I talk a good game, but the truth of the matter is, I don't deserve these stars. I will always be famous for my biggest failure. Hey, the past is the past, okay? Right now, this moment, this night, this is what you're going to be remembered for. This is your last stand. They need a leader. Yeah, they need a leader. <laughs> yeah? You want to be their leader? Let's do this. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Let's go. Yeah. The Battle of the Smithsonian. Perhaps the greatest battle the world will never know. We'll know.
tearing up right now because <laughs> that's, that's so stupid. <laughs> that's just how God, God works. And uh, as I was sitting in that theater, it's like the Holy Spirit spoke to me through Ben Stiller. <laughs> and I just the, the, just the presence of God washed over me in that theater, and I, just, I, just, I knew that God was speaking to me and saying, you know, you can, because of Jesus Christ, you can leave the past in the past. You can have a new beginning. You can have a new start. And I feel maybe that movie doesn't speak to you the way it does to me, but to me, you know, even the part about, like, where, where Custer says, I don't deserve these stars. That's how I felt. I don't deserve to st- study youth ministry in college. I, I should go in something else. But then Ben Stiller looks at him and says, do you want to be a leader? I'm like, yeah, I do. That was the desire of my heart. And then they, oh, there's a battle going on. We need you. And so I just, at that moment, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and commissioned me back into ministry. And that forever changed my life, that God's grace could forgive everything that happened in my past and give me a new start. And I've, I've been forever changed since. You know, when I felt lost at 13 years old, God brought me home. When I felt imprisoned by sin or by guilt, I cried out to God and he set me free. When I felt sick to my stomach, God healed me. When I was being tossed about because of the lies of the enemy, I cried out to God. He heard me. He put me on the solid rock again. So I give praise to God. I testify to his grace this morning. And depending on where you find yourself today, there's a few ways I'd like to invite you to respond to the sermon. The first way is something we all can do. I invite you to praise and thank God for his amazing grace in your own life. You know, this entire psalm, it's a call to worship. It's a call to worship God for his his loving kindness and his grace to us. And each story, did you notice, ends with a call for the people to give thanks and praise to God for his wonderful deeds, for the things he has done. It's something we're called to do and meditate on again and again. A second way I invite you to respond to the story is to consider telling your own story of grace. The psalm says, let the redeemed of the Lord, that's all of us, let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. This is something we need to do, not just from the pulpit up front, but in our daily lives, with our families, with our friends, with our, with our kids and our grandkids, our nieces and nephews, our brothers and sisters in Christ at church. We need to tell the stories of grace. And by the way, if you have a story that you would like to share with the church, uh, send me an email, let me know. We'd love to do this maybe again throughout different times throughout the year uh, or in another format. We'd love to know. The third way that you can respond to God is to cry out to receive His grace. Brothers and sisters, did you notice that pattern in the psalm? These people are in such chaotic situations, and every time, what do they do? They cry out to God, and He delivers them. Friends, you you might just be a cry away from deliverance today. You might just be a prayer away of being set free from something you've been dealing with. And you can take that small step today. What do you need from the Lord? What do you need from Him? Cry out to receive His grace.